Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Listening to you talk that. Welcome to Talk Money. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning and welcome to Talk Money. 12.2 million Americans signed up a year ago for their 2017 health insurance via the Federal Exchange or through a state-run exchange. And I have Shannon Dyson in the studio to give us an update on the enrollment period that ends next Friday, the 15th of December. Shannon? What's happening with the exchanges? Well, good morning, Jim. It's, uh, it is definitely confusing out there. Uh, the enrollment period this year was shortened drastically. Drastically. This year, uh, last year, you could go through January 31st uh, to enroll. That was cut to December the 15th. Uh, that's over a month shorter, a month and a half shorter than the enrollment period last year. Uh, so what we're seeing are lower numbers uh, on people enrolling so far. So you don't think we're going to hit the 12.2 million? I don't think we'll get there. Uh, the estimates are that we're going to be about 10% short of that, so about 1.2 million short of that number. You know, is that telling us that there are going to be 1.2 million people that just don't have insurance going forward in 2018? That's hard to say. Uh, a lot of people that had coverage last year, dropped coverage throughout the year, or left left coverage in May, June, July. They may pick that back up again. They may not. So it's hard to say if those are just 1.2 million that just won't have insurance. And of course, it's confusing right now because of the tax bill that was passed that got rid of the individual mandate. People may think they don't need insurance. Uh, so it's it's confusing. I'm shocked at the number of people that I've been talking with just just doing a kind of a personal survey. The number of the people that are saying, no, I'm not I'm not enrolling. It's too expensive. It's too expensive. And, th- and that's the thing. I, I actually went on for myself uh, and looked to see what my rates would be. And I had sticker shock. I mean, it was over $3,000 a month to cover my family uh, with a plan that had a $1,500 deductible. So I can imagine when people go on there and see those types of numbers that they say, I just can't afford that. There's no way I can do that. What's the future look like? One of the things we're going to talk about, I tell you what, let's do. Let's take a break. We've got several things going on today. We've got Mac Bailey of the Bailey Law Firm, Rob Clement of Shoemaker Financial here today. We're going to be discussing what we face when we face probate. How do you deal with that? What are the things you have to go through as a family member? You've got to deal with the estate. What do you look for? And if you're trying to identify elder abuse, well, what do you look for there? Those are two big subjects. And, of course, baby boomer aging, how do you manage longevity expectations? And one of the things when we come back, guys, here's what I want to talk about. How much is it going to cost us and what are we looking for when it comes to health care as we see an aging baby boom population? I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. You know you're the mastermind. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. 
Now, here's Mid-South weather from News Channel 3 Severe Weather Center, brought to you by the Crescent Club, hosting the people and ideas that move Memphis forward for nearly 30 years. Poplar and I-240, call for a free tour at 901-684-1010. Plenty of sunshine after the clouds decide to move out of the way today. Your News Channel 3 forecast, highs not that high in the lower 40s only. Northerly winds becoming west, mostly clear tonight. Lows in the upper 20s, sunny for Saturday, highs in the mid 40s. The 2018 associate memberships are available for purchase at Wedgwood and North Creek. Two championship courses under one grade membership. Call Wedgwood 662-895-7490 to sign up today. That's a look at your latest WREG-TV News Channel 3 Severe Weather Center forecast. I'm meteorologist Austin Onik. You're on The Voice, FM 107.9 and AM 990. Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs, it's what we do. You're listening to Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results, research, investment advice, or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, healthcare is getting more expensive, more complicated. Most of us are going to find ourselves having to manage multiple chronic conditions by the time that we reach age, that is, that is retirement age. And it's not surprisingly, the older we get, the more difficult the management process can become. Logistics of health management may become, believe it or not, a full-time job. For aging clients, what we're looking for, the whole idea behind medical appointments, prescription management, mobility, you know, and I mean, you get to the doctor's office and you say, well, okay, my appointment's at 930 and about 11 o'clock you get seen and you wonder, how did that happen? Well, that's because so many people didn't show up. And it's just one of those situations where they're overbooking. And of course, it's always a problem. It's a, it's one of those things we've come kind of, I guess, accustomed to. But here's the problem. Interpreting health insurance, the cost, the coverage can become somewhat complicated. And we, as these baby boom generation begin to age, we're going to be harder pressed to understand it. So, Shannon, let me uh, start with you. Let me welcome these other two guys. We've got the studio guys, just some very smart people here. We have Rob Clement from Shoemaker Financial and Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. Guys, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jim. Good to see you, too. Glad to be here. Good to see me. Now, Rob, I want to remind you, we're doing radio here, so <laughs> that's it. That's, that's just good. Okay, guys. Now, Shannon, here you go. It's complicated. It's getting more complicated. What's the, what do you see? What's the downturn? What's, well, where are we headed? I think the, the confusing thing for a lot of people, they hear about the increases that are coming on the plans, and they're not small increases. When we hear the, we talk about Cigna, we talk about Blue Cross, they're saying 25, 30, 60% increases from uh, Blue Cross. One thing to keep in mind is the tax subsidies that are off, that are offered through the exchanges, mm -hmm. uh, those went up as well. So where, well, while the prices may have skyrocketed, the tax subsidies that will help you pay for those costs have also skyrocketed. So it's definitely worth going on and putting in your income on the healthcare.gov website and just seeing what you might qualify for 
uh, tax subsidy wise. Robin, your practice when you're you're dealing with a lot of baby boom generation, you're responsible for that that group of people in the office. What do you see when you're talking to people? I mean, is it are people grasping the changes? Is it becoming something that they're saying, okay, I've got it? Or are you seeing people that are walking around as as I kind of said earlier? Somewhat complicated and dizzying to them to the point where they're going, I don't know what to do. Jim, that's uh, that's exactly that. I don't know what to do is the one uh, they are bewildered uh, in many cases. Uh, I mean, I have an example that we can talk about of uh, of a family member, uh, brother and sister that uh, live up in the Nashville area. One is in one county, the other was in an adjacent county, and uh, the uh, the sister is just. She couldn't figure out how come her bill was so much higher than her brother's bill. And they're both single, older, in their 70s, and living by themselves. But they could not figure out how come such a disparity in uh, what they had to pay for their uh, their insurance. Well, one thing, too, is it's, imp- it's imperative for uh, people to have an advisor that can help them work through the process. Because there's so many different deadlines mentioned on the news. There's a deadline for Medicare Part D prescription coverage. There's a, there's a deadline for the healthcare.gov coverage for individual health insurance. People are completely confused on what deadline is for what. Uh, we have people come in all the time that are needing a Medicare supplement, and they're thinking, I've got to get this done before December the 7th. Like, no, you don't. You still have time to do that. But when you hear when all of these deadlines are thrown around this time of year, people just have a hard time understanding, if you're not in the market looking at this every day, uh, what their actual deadlines are. You know, I had someone the other day, I happened to have, I had to have some minor surgery, and I happened to be in, a, in an office, and uh, I was just looking at this age group, and, and I was amazed. It's an older—I was, you know, I am almost 70, and I thought, well, okay, uh, you know, I might be one of the oldest ones in there. No, I was one of the youngest ones in the waiting room, and I'm looking at this group of people, and I was looking for the caregivers, and I was shocked that we we're having a—I uh, I just expected to see more caregivers, and there were not. There were some people in there that literally—I'm not sure— they knew what they were doing. What do you see with that, Rob? Do you see that in, in, with you and and uh, Mac? You the same way. You're sitting there working with clients sometimes that they age. What are you seeing, Mac? And from that standpoint, are you seeing where the caregivers is not as many or not as involved? I think what we've seen is that there's less family caregivers, uh, especially since family members live all over the United States. And we've seen more professional caregivers, and I think the professional caregiving companies here in town do have difficulty staffing good people to help out the older generation. So you're talking about, Rob, you had something. Basically, what you're saying is, I agree, they're spread out all over the United States, and we have a propensity to say, okay, I can't come. I live in Oregon. I can't come to Memphis to take care of Dad. Uh, I need to hire a professional. Well, that's that's exactly right. And what you see is uh, when there are family members that are taking care of, of their mother and father, usually it's a, a female, and usually she's uh, approaching her mid-40s to early 50s that's there. Now, in some cases, like Mac had said, that's, uh, that's not the case. And we've had, as baby boomers, we've had less children than our parents' generation with us. So, you know, you've got a void that's there of just the kids being around. And then it's a good point that Mac brings up about we live in a society where uh, where people are living everywhere, but not in their hometown. Wow, you're right. You know, you think about that. We have less children today. A baby boom generation. Our parents, our parents had you know like four kids to a to a child. You know, four kids to a family. Our the baby boomers had 
less than two. Right. And so, you know, that's just a smaller amount. It's yeah. just a, it, we are now seeing the pressure of being caregivers. Shannon, I know you've got to run. I appreciate you coming in this morning, but what would you tell people listening today about the whole idea behind the exchanges? I know we need to reaffirm the fact 15th of December, that's the deadline. Yeah, seven days uh, from today. So next Friday ends the deadline. And I would just say that if you're trying to find coverage for your family, you're worried about the cost of the insurance, keep in mind that if your adjusted gross income is anywhere below eighty to 90000 per year with a family, you may be able to qualify for a tax subsidy. So it's worth going on, checking your status to see if you do, and not just saying, I can't afford it, and not checking it out. And not taking the risk of entering into 2018 with no injury. Because the main thing is, if you don't do it now and you don't have a qualifying event throughout the year, you cannot get health insurance through the through healthcare.gov until next year. If you'd like to ask Shannon a question, just give him a call at the office at 757-5757. Shannon, thanks so much. I know you're busy. I know you got to run. Appreciate you taking the time to come in and talk about the exchanges, sir. Thanks, Jim. Enjoyed it. You know, guys, here's one of the things that I want us to talk about, that the whole idea, you know, as we think about the exchanges, the medical insurance, it's becoming more complicated. But here's my thought, and I and I want to go to Mac because I, I really, Mac, I really wanted you to help us kind of gather some insight to this. All of a sudden, we are the caregiver. We are the person who's working with that elder client, that elder uh, mother, the elder dad or whatever. Uh, dad-in-law, mother-in-law, whatever it is, the reality is you've got to all of a sudden settle the estate. I want to talk about probate because probate is something of a word that a lot of people hear, but I'm not sure that we've been through that. I was just talking, just just to give you an example, to a financial advisor in our office, and I mean, been been in the business 20-plus years, and I asked him, I said, when was the last time you did a, helped someone through probate? We actually went down to probate court. And he glazed over. And I said, you're kidding me. And I said, you need to just take a day and just go down to court, go downtown and spend a day and see what's happening at probate. Talk about that for me, Mac, because I really want to know what is probate? For our listening audience, what is probate? I think the first point about probate to make it is a court process. You can't go through probate without going to court. Uh, many of my clients will have someone that will pass away and they'll have a will of this person. And they think they can implement the will themselves. They think they can take the will to the bank. They can take it to the brokerage uh, house. They can take it to the real estate closing attorney and get everything they need done because they're named in the will as the executor. But it's a court process and you have to be appointed as the executor administrator before you have any authority. You know, I, I, that you say that, and, it, and I get it. I get it. It's so simple to understand. But the reality is, let's, let's dive back into the law just a little bit and help everybody understand why that's the process. Well, I think the probate process is set up to protect everyone. It's a protection mechanism. It's designed to protect beneficiaries, so someone that's not a beneficiary will receive the estate. It's designed to protect creditors, people that uh, may be owed by the decedent to pay their bills. It's also designed to protect the state and the federal government so they'll make sure they get paid any back taxes that are owed or income taxes or real property taxes or anything of that nature. So it's designed to protect a lot of different people, and that's really one of the purposes of probate. When you talk about protecting, we don't, we don't really think that, the, you know, that I need to protect or I do this. But the reality is what you're doing is you're disclosing it. Probate is an open book. And people need to realize that um, 
If you want your estate in an open book fashion, that is what's going to happen with probate. That's correct. It's, it's completely a public record. And like you said, anyone can go down to probate court in the morning at 9 a.m. when it opens and sit there all day and watch the proceedings. There may be one or two closed hearings if you're dealing with a competency issue. But in general, probate, when you're dealing with a decedent's estate, it's completely an open process. You know, if you're looking for something to do on a particular day, that might not be a bad thing. You know, it's it's because we're all going to someday face something like that, probably, and no experience. You know, but I guess if you don't have a will, what happens? I guess that's what I'm thinking here. Mac, and I really want to tie the fact is that I don't expect, if I, ha- I have done this with my parents and, and then when they passed away, but the reality is I do that, you do that. As advisors, we're involved. But the average person driving down the road today does not know. Probate can either be very complicated or it can be almost a non-issue. My point is there's ways to get help. But let's start, first of all, if you have a will, you're probating the will. That is correct. You can either die what they call testate or intestate. Testate means you have a will that's valid. Intestate means you don't have a will. And if you die with a will, there are certain things that you can do to expedite the process and save money during the process. But if you die without a will, the court really doesn't know what your intentions are. And so over there, the court's going to require bond, inventory, accounting, appraisals. All these things cost money and reduce the amount of inheritance ultimately going to your beneficiaries. That could be a problem. Rob, I know you've had multiple times where we've had clients that have passed away and you've got the, you know, you're working with the spouse or the, you know, and your, or the children, children. cases. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things you see where you're, when you're, when you're in the office, you know, almost holding the hand sometimes of sure. the widow, or the widower, what are you talking about with them? What are you working with? Yeah. And that's a great question. Uh, and, most often, I'm trying to manage their expectations, and often the expectation is, how soon will I have the proceeds here from my parents or my spouse's estate? And uh, then it comes to the things that Mac just mentioned. Uh, they'll say, well, we've got our will in place, and then once we begin to review the will and review the other legal documents, we find that many times, a high percentage of times, they're not really ready to settle the estate, which if you do it on the front end, if you get all your documents together, it's just a turnkey type of thing. But if you haven't followed the instructions that Mac has given, then it's a longer time and people get frustrated because now it's gone from just what they thought maybe the expectation would be a week to 10 days to maybe two months. When you talk about, and I'm asking both of you, when you talk about getting the the things together, okay? Uh, let's let's put that into perspective. Some of those fundamental things, Mac. That that if I'm coming in with a with a packet of things, what would you expect me to have? Desire for me to have? And Rob, you answer the same question. But start with you, Mac. But the reality is, I'm coming in. I'm probating my dad's estate, and I'm bringing what I thought, what we all thought was important. I'm not in the business. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just a good son to take care of dad, and I'm in your office. What should I have? We give that client a list before the meeting. And so hopefully they will bring, first of all, the original will, because many times they'll bring a copy in, and the copy does not work. Only one original, and only that original works. The second thing is, hopefully they'll bring a death certificate in, so we'll actually know the person that is, you know, know that this person is deceased and that the court knows they're deceased, because unbelievably so, some people show up to probate and probate the estates of living people in order to get their assets. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> probate 
living people. <laughs> what, how does that person feel about that? That's being that's alive and they're being. Pro- <laughs> yeah, there's so many derivatives of fraud uh, out there. Just uh, it's okay. amazing. All right, no, never mind. That's, that's pretty good though. I hadn't heard that one lately, but go ahead. I'm sorry. And then they need a list of the assets because I need to know what I am probating because it's key to then determine whether the asset is a probate asset. Does it go through the will or is it a non-probate asset? It passes outside the will like a life insurance policy or retirement account. So the basic things is the original document, okay, death certificate, maybe, hopefully, and then third, the list of assets. Okay, those are the fundamentals. Now, Rob, what do you add to that? Is there anything that you say, okay, we'd also need the following? Well, I, I usually will start with a point of clarification because so often today, those children uh, that we're talking about are powers of attorney. And, uh, and we talk about the fact that, I'm sorry, but as a power of attorney with your dad or your mom has passed away, it is no longer in effect. Do they think that? Do they know that? Or uh, they I see often that people say, well, you know, I need to have this information. I'm sorry, but you can't do that. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure Mac has seen some very similar type of things. Absolutely. That's the first thing they do is they go to the bank after mom died and they take their power of attorney in order to try to get into the bank account. That's and the power of attorney ends upon death. It ceases to be effective upon death. You know, this is, again, just basic education. But, it, you know, we think about it as being basic. But what you're saying, Rob, it happens. It happens all the time. Max saying it happens all the time. So if you're just tuned in, my guests today are Rob Clement from Shoemaker Financial, Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. And we're talking about probate. We're going to talk about elder abuse when we come back. And the whole reality is this is fundamental information that is so critical because we're going to be faced one day, Someday, whether it's you've already done it or you know somebody that's in the middle of it or you're headed that way, you're going to end up having to probate an estate. Maybe you're going to be a caregiver. You need to examine elder abuse, what's going on there. You don't want to miss any of this because we've got some tremendous knowledge in this studio today. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to KWAM 990 FM 107.9, The Voice Talk Radio for Memphis and the Mid-South. This is Talk Money. Jingle bells swing and jingle bells ring Snowing and blowing up bushels of fun Now the jingle hop has begun Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock Jingle bells chime and jingle bell time. Have a question you'd like answered on the program? Email talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Sponsored in part by Dell Small Business. Talk to a Dell Tech Advisor today to find the right Dell PC for your business. This is Charles Osgood from the Dell Small Business Studios. People who can and do work from home may be more productive, but they also have to remember to pace themselves, as you hear after this. Dave, what are you doing? Just sending a gift to Dave2037. Who? Me in the future. I save a little money from every paycheck as a gift to Dave2037. So he can spend it on things like anti-gravity boots or a hologram Doberman. Something cool like that. I think Dave2037 deserves it. He worked hard. What are you getting Steve2037? I guess I was thinking Steve2037 would just fend for himself. Well, all right. But don't expect to be borrowing my anti-gravity boots. You want to have money in your future? You got to start saving now. Putting some money from every paycheck into a savings account or contributing to your 401k can make a big difference later. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ideas and easy ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. Hey, 
Let's just hope Steve 2037 doesn't get his hands on a cold time machine because he is going to come back here and knock some sense into you. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Laura Podesta of CBS News introduced us to a man who works from home. Todd Miller's commute is all of 25 seconds from the first floor of his house downstairs to his basement computer. I did the whole office world. I was traveling many hours a day, going to the office, working in the cubicles, and the commute just got insane. So I'm thinking there's got to be a better way of doing this. Miller now works for Gateway Group, a company that lets employees work from home. A lot of people might not believe that you can actually be more productive at home. So how are you more productive? It's, um, you know, it's a discipline. It's, it's the way you dress. It's everything from the, the way you build your day to the way you dress to the way you treat things. In a recent survey, 39% of people who work from home said they put in extra hours compared to 24% of people at an office. Kate Lister is with Global Workplace Analytics, a research firm, and she says... There is this sort of double-edged sword, uh, and, and companies have to help their people learn to manage this tendency to overwork. They tend to give back 50 to 60% of the time they would have otherwise spent commuting, working. Todd Miller says he knows that can be a problem. Because I know my office is here, right? I, you know, if it's on the weekend and I have something I need to get done, I'm going to come down and spend two or three hours, maybe early in the morning before everybody wakes up doing that. But Todd has some help in keeping things in balance. Without a commute, he can maximize his time with his six-year-old daughter, Elena. He believes that's work-life balance at its best. Laura Podesta, thank you. The Osgood File. This is Charles Osgood, and I'll see you right here on the radio. You're listening to Talk Money. Shoemaker Financial and Securian Financial Services are not affiliated with Mac Bailey or the Bailey Law Firm. Financial advisors do not provide tax and or legal advice. Shoemaker Financial and Securian Financial Services do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should always consult their tax and or legal professionals regarding their own specific situation. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, you just found out that someone dear to you has passed away, and you have got to put all the estate papers together. You hope you can find them. You've got to go to probate. You've got health costs that, you know, is hanging over your head. You need the money to pay all that off. What do you do? How do you manage all that? Where do you turn? Well, my guest today, both these guys deal with this on a day-to-day basis. Rob Clement with Shoemaker Financial, Mac Bailey of the Bailey Law Firm, a, a frequent guest here, and then both very competent people that deal with this from a standpoint of sitting across the table, walking you through some of the, the guidelines that you have to go through, the steps to handling an estate. We've talked about probate. We've talked about non-probate assets and durable powers of attorney and all those things. Terms that kind of for them, yeah, it's everyday language. For us, sometimes not so often. So stay with us because we're really walking through some very basic, basic fundamentals. Mac, let me go back to this where we talked about probate. I, you know, you have the person, everything's fine, and you know they've got a will. You know, but you can't find it. Uh, and so some point in time you think, well, maybe I, I can't find a will. The attorney that drew, you know, drew it up or something is deceased or you just, you just can't put your hand. You can't find the will. Now you have to make a decision. Do I probate the estate without a will or do, what, what happens in that situation? Well, if you don't have the original, but you have a copy, there's a possibility that you could probate the copy, but it's a very long, drawn-out, expensive lawsuit against all the potential heirs out there to try to prove that, he, that the decedent did not destroy the will before he died. And then if you can't find the original or the copy, then you're left with only probating the estate as an intestate estate 
And then you go by what the law says under Tennessee or Mississippi or wherever you are as to who would inherit. And many times, if you're, especially in a second marriage, you may have a situation where the second spouse gets part of the estate, the kids from the previous marriage gets part of the estate, and I guarantee you that's not what the decedent, the person that's deceased, intended. So, so keeping that copy, I mean, a, the original, is really, really important. Now, do you tell people to put it in a lockbox? I mean, you know, I mean, I, I can remember years ago we said, don't put it in a lockbox because, you know, you may not be able to get into the lockbox. What do, what do you say? I tell them put them in a safe, secure location. Some of it's fireproof, theftproof, waterproof. Some of my clients have home safes. Some have a lockable, fireproof filing cabinet. Others will still put it in the bank safe deposit box. And the rules there have laxed a little bit to where you can get into the box for the purpose of retrieving an original will. Rob? Yeah, can I add to that? Uh, Mac listed a couple places to keep it. I really encourage uh, clients to start what I call a legacy drawer at their home. Yeah. And everybody has one. And it may look organized or unorganized, but at least it has a central place that everybody knows where to go to get those things that we're talking about. So is it the filing cabinet that, that everybody is aware of and you've got something? I know, Mac, you give your clients a, a huge folder, I mean, a book that's got it. I mean, it's not just a little book. It's it's a book. It's a three-ring binder that'll hold 60,000 pages, I know, <laughs> at least. I mean, Mac, what do you do? Is that what you're telling them? That's your legacy drawer, that book, or do you add things to that? I like, like the idea of a legacy drawer. I think it's important wherever you put it. I like the idea of one place where everything's supposed to be, but most of our clients may not be that organized. I'm not even that organized sometimes. But I think it's important to tell people, tell everybody where it is. First thing I ask the question is, okay, where are you going to put it? I'm going to write it down in your file where you're going to put it, and then I need you to tell your kids and your executor where you're putting these original documents. So important. Yeah, and those are those are things that uh, that we use as a checklist when we're meeting with clients is that, all right, which of your children know, or your power of attorneys know, where everything is? And by the way, tell me where that is, so that if I'm contacted, and usually I am. Do you ever ask the clients to write a letter, just simply say, hey, would you just put all this in writing someplace, not a document that's a legal document, but, a, but something of a, hey, what do you do? Here's, here's where everything is. I have. Uh, I have not asked them to write it, but I've uh, asked if they have written one, mm. and uh, and then if they have, I ask if I can have a copy of that. And again, uh, those clients are usually the ones who are are typically very organized, and you have little to no problems when you're selling the estate. <laughs> so the guy, you're right. The guy that writes the letter is one that has the legacy drawer that's got every file account, everything. The guy that doesn't write the letter, he doesn't have a clue where anything is. That's right. Well, the old saying is you're going to get organized sooner or later. It may be while you're alive or it may be when you're dead, but yeah. you will get organized sooner I, or later. I, I had a wife when I, in a meeting one time turn to her husband and simply say, you do not want this to be unorganized because if you, I promise you when you get to heaven, I will pray that you get spanked every day for this. I, it was pretty, pretty interesting the way they thought about it. Durable power of attorney. That was mentioned a few minutes ago. Living will, this durable power of attorney, health care. How important is that, Mac? I think the health care document is very important, especially if it's a second marriage or subsequent marriage where you have multiple people, you have adult children from a previous relationship and you have a new spouse, because everybody needs to know who is the go-to person. The health care power attorney is also important because it is the one document that does survive death for the sole purpose of funeral and burial arrangements. So 
from that standpoint, the healthcare depart, uh, document allows someone to make decisions for you during your life while you're incapacitated and allows someone to make burial and funeral instructions for you upon your death. All right. I, this is the question that so many people, when you say durable, you know, power of attorney for health care, I don't have one of those, let's say. Let's say that I'm the client, I don't have one of those, but I'm married. And my wife, I've, they've got to make a, a life decision that's keep me plugged in or unplug me or what. Well, she's my wife. She can make that decision, correct? Yeah, marriage license is not a health care power of attorney, and neither is a birth certificate. So that's why you need this document to tell the doctors, the hospitals, the health care providers, who is your go-to person to make these decisions. Otherwise, it would, it would be a chaos, and the hospital's not going to know who to listen to. And as a result, it may go to their ethics committee, and they appoint someone to make decisions for you. All right. I want to make sure everybody understood. I knew the answer to that question. But I, I, I think that's so important because so many people think, well, my spouse can make that decision. And, you know, all it takes, I could just, I've had this to happen where one spouse, the spouse says, this is what I think we want to do. And a daughter or a son says, well, wait a minute, I don't agree with that. And man, you have got that stops right there. And so you're saying the document, have the document. Most hospitals today require that. What I have noticed, and, and help me with this, Mac, from your standpoint, sometimes they will say, well, no, I won't take that document. I need our document completed. Do you see that very often? I, well, I see it from the standpoint they're looking for the statutory form, the form that's published by the state in which the hospital is located. Okay, so that's critical. It is, and it's a federal law that requires them to ask for it. It's the Patient Self-Determination Act back from the 90s that says, when you get admitted to a hospital or go into a physician's office, they have to ask you, do you have a living will and a health care power of attorney? Wow, so much that we, you know, I missed this tons. And so now when we come back, guys, I want us to, to, to flip the page because we're facing a ton every day. I know, Rob, you see it in your practice where you're talking with that, that child that, that all of a sudden brought in mom or dad or you're beginning to question, is there some abuse going on here? And I want to kind of dive into this because whether we like it or not, we've seen it in our city, in Collierville here not too long ago, where there was some possibilities, questions, and I'm not going to get into that, health, you know, healthcare abuse for elders. And I think we need to just discuss it. We need to put it on the table, and let's just go through it with you guys who both deal with it every day. If you're listening to talk money right now. Of course, I think I told you that. You're listening to FM 107.9 and AM 990, The Voice, the radio for the Memphis and the Mid-South. Of course, you're listening to talk money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guest, Rob Clement. My guest, Mac Bailey. Both these guys are very smart. We're talking about elder abuse. When we come back, this is Talk Money. sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. There are many great moments in the career of Senator Kenneth McKellar. He was the first senator from Tennessee to complete more than three terms, having served from 1917 to 1953, and held the position of President Pro Tem of the Senate under the current system in Congress during the Truman administration. With two economic landmarks named in his honor, Lake McKellar next to the Memphis Industrial District on President's Island and McKellar Airport in Jackson, Tennessee, 
It comes as no surprise that the senator was an early supporter of the creation of the Tennessee Valley Authority during the New Deal era. Despite the initial support, McKellar's relationship with the TVA grew strained over time as Tennessee landowners felt they were not properly reimbursed for property acquired by the TVA. McKellar, who served as chairman of the powerful Appropriations Committee, intervened on the landowner's behalf. He knew that the uranium enrichment program for the Manhattan Project, which created the atomic bomb, was heavily dependent on the electricity produced by the TVA and threatened to defund the program until the TVA fully reimbursed the landowners. After President Roosevelt's death, his successor, Harry Truman, did not appoint a vice president, which placed McKellar next in line to become president until the law was changed in 1947. After running for a seventh Senate term, McKellar lost to Albert Gore Sr. in 1952. A longtime ally of E.H. Crump, McKellar's defeat in the senatorial race, coupled with the victory of an anti-Crump progressive candidate in the gubernatorial election, marked the end of an era in Tennessee public life. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. You're listening to Talk Money. Life insurance products contain fees, such as mortality and expense charges, and may contain restrictions, such as surrender periods. And now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. My guest, Mac Bailey of the Bailey Law Firm, Rob Clement of Shoemaker Financial. We've been talking about probate and what to do and all those things that kind of seem to be complicated. But now we're going to shift gears a little bit because we find it to be extremely important today to talk about elder abuse. It's not a subject that anybody really wants to confront because we think it's happening maybe across the street, but it'll never happen in my family. And yet uh, we want to bring you to an awareness. There are things that do take place. It does happen. And reality is uh, we all think that we're going to live longer. That's kind of that expectation. In fact, there's enough statistics out there that today, if you're 65 years older and in pretty decent health, you've got a chance to live 30 more years. And most people, and here's the thing, if you're age 65, 90% of those that are 65 older According to some studies that we've got from uh, Dr. Joe, see this, who wrote this? Dr. John Coughlin, who is a PhD, says that 90% of those age 65 or older intend to stay at home. Well, guys, whether we like it or not, staying at home doesn't eliminate elder abuse. So let's start with this. I mean, what are some of the realities? I mean, elder abuse refers to that intentional and neglectful act by a caregiver or a trusted person, a trusted individual that leads to or may lead to the harm to that vulnerable person, that person that you're the caregiver for. Mac, do you see that a lot or how do you deal with it? We do see. We see both financial and physical elder abuse in our practice. Uh, Mostly the financial elder abuse is what comes to our office because people are trying to recoup funds that have been taken by their parent, uh, taken from away from their parent by someone who is not entitled to those assets. and you, you see it in the form of a lot of times people will use a legal document like a power of attorney to actually um, uh, commit financial elder abuse. Because once they get that document, they can go to the bank without the elder and remove funds, withdraw funds, uh, get loans, any type of financial elder abuse where they take money away from the client. How do you, what do you tell the person uh, do you, when you, when you, because that's, that's the issue, Rob, you, you see it the same way, but what do you tell someone to 
how do you tell them to protect themselves? I mean, I'm the elder son in my family. My mom gave me the power of attorney. Now, for me, it was simple. I didn't do one thing without my sister knowing it. I mean, now, she had to trust that that's the case. With I, if I went to the bank to pay something for mom, she got a you know an inventory of everything like that. We kept it. And I still have those records. My mom's been dead seven years, and yet at the same time, I've kept those records in case there were ever a question. But the reality is, it's easy with that power of attorney to to just not be willing. If you if you have any type of question about honesty, that can really be a problem. I'd I'd like to uh, share about that. I. I've seen what works very effectively if the children are around that they can physically come into my office uh, with the parent. We'll do a beneficiary meeting and discuss power of attorney. Now, if the child's out of town and they can't make it or the power of attorney. Now, are you talking about the children or in, and, the, and the parent? And the parent. We'll okay. come in and we'll, and the goal is not to talk anything financial as far as dollars and cents, but to talk what are the steps that the parent's wishes are, and then we begin to talk, take the will that Mac's been talking about and talk about here's how we are going to deal with this in the event that something happens to mom or dad here. Uh, and that way you begin with people getting an understanding of what the next steps are and not just all of a sudden one day a parent passes away and leaves a mom or a dad that has to have care and you're going to move to the house and have the care at the house, and who's going to care for the person. So those kind of discussions are discussions that aren't easy. And sometimes you see people becoming very uncomfortable with them, but they're needed discussions to have. Do you find that when you're talking about they're not easy discussions, Mac? Yeah, they're certainly not easy when, when the parent is excluding another or one of the children or does not trust one of the children as much as the others. Um, so that's not an easy process. And I tell all my clients that it's a gradual process many times in order for us to get to a point to where the parents or grandparents have done what they need to do. You know, we try to shine as much light on the process as we can. We require a physician's affidavit for someone to take over as the power of attorney certifying this person can't make their own decisions. We require them to give a copy of the power of attorney to everybody once it has become effective. Um, we like to have a copy. Everybody also. being all the children, all the family members, all, all the family. family members get a copy of it. You can even require that whoever the power of attorney is does an annual accounting. I mean, you can require an accounting where this person shows the income and expenses and gives a copy to all the family members every year. So there's lots of things you can put in place to shine some light on the process so people don't feel like they're in the dark. So financial abuse is what we're talking about. Now, when you when you think about it, basically 10 percent of Americans today, age 65 or older, end up in some form of abuse, whether it's physical or, or financial, they end up, and it, a lot of it goes unreported. Why do you think it goes unreported? Why is that even a possibility? I think many times the people are just ashamed of, that they got taken. So many times the parents aren't willing to admit to the kids that they were financially abused, that they were to the point where they allowed someone to take advantage of them. Um, also, it may be a close family member that another family member doesn't want to go to jail. So if one of the kids have stolen from mom, the other uh, sibling says, well, look, I'm not going to report my brother and put him in jail, so we're just going to leave it alone. The money's not worth that. So there's lots of reasons why it does not go unreported, uh, but those are two, two of the primary ones. So we're talking about elder abuse. Rob, when you're, when you're working with a client, do you look for signs? What are signs? I mean, I know you'd look for them, but, but what are signs that you would say, this is, I sense that this is a financial abuse problem, or I sense this is a, uh, a 
uh, you know, a health abuse problem? What are you looking for? What are you sure. asking questions? In, in those areas, it begins to be uh, where you can see a person, uh, if you're sitting face-to-face, uh, beginning to be uncomfortable. They don't have a, a clear uh, definition as to what's happening and, and whether it's doctor's appointments and, or whether it's the parent is left at home by his or herself uh, without the child uh, checking in on them. So there's there's a number of things that you start by just asking questions. Now you had that to happen, didn't you? Where they, yes. where you saw that was where the right. the adult was just left at home. Right. Yeah. Okay. When we come back, I want you to talk about that. And okay. also, I, I think it's important that we put on the table the reality that women, you know, the, the very elderly, let's just say that, are most at risk. The very elderly, men and women, but women are kind of that target. And if we're not careful, it can be the family member or it can be that outside member that just all of a sudden comes out of nowhere and they're lonely. They're not being taken care of by their family. So I want to talk specifically about that. I want you to tell the, the, the actual issue here, what you saw, and then I want to talk about who's at risk. Who do we need to put the light on and say, this is what we're talking about. You're listening to The Voice. Uh, of course, this is FM 107.9 and AM 990. Talk radio for the Memphis and the Mid-South. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guest, Rob Clement, Mac Bailey. We're talking about elder abuse. You don't want to miss the second, the next rest of this, folks. This is important. This is Talk Money. Podcast of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Now, here's Mid-South weather from News Channel 3 Severe Weather Center. Brought to you by the Crescent Club. Hosting the people and ideas that moved Memphis forward for nearly 30 years. Poplar and I-240. Call for a free tour at 901-684-1010. Plenty of sunshine after the clouds decide to move out of the way today. Your News Channel 3 forecast, highs not that high in the lower 40s only. Northerly winds becoming west, mostly clear tonight. Lows in the upper 20s, sunny for Saturday, highs in the mid-40s. The 2018 associate memberships are available for purchase at Wedgwood and North Creek. Two championship courses under one grade membership. Call Wedgwood 662-895-7490 to sign up today. That's a look at your latest WREG-TV News Channel 3 Severe Weather Center forecast. I'm meteorologist Austin Onick. You're on The Voice, FM 107.9 and AM 990. Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs, it's what we do. You're listening to Talk Money. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investments will fluctuate, and when redeemed, may be worth more or less than when originally invested. And now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, elder abuse refers to that intentional or neglective act by a caregiver or a trusted individual that's led to or may lead to the harm of a vulnerable Elder, someone who is at that point getting care. What type? Well, it could be physical, sexual, financial, 
material, uh, you know, abandonment, neglect. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's psychological. Maybe it's the whole gamut of all of these put together. But you know someone or you sense that that's a possibility. Rob, we mentioned before the break that there was some, you actually have an experience of someone that you saw that you knew was going through something like we're talking about. Yeah, in those words you used, the descriptive words of neglect and uh, and the fact that uh, many times a, a caregiver, uh, in this case, would get uh, just frustrated being a caregiver. Uh, we all know that. Sometimes some of us don't have the patience that maybe other people have. And, uh, and so we begin to notice that patience was running thin for this particular caregiver. And, uh, and just ask, uh, can we check on the, on the person that's receiving the care? And when we did, we found the person was, uh, um, had not been able to get up and, uh, and go to, uh, to the restroom. And so there was just uh, some things that indicated that they had been in that condition uh, for quite some time. And, uh, and finally, the person said, yeah, I just, the caregiver said, I, I just had to get away for a while. And you, uh, you just can't do that. You have to have a backup mm-hmm. plan. And that's, and, that's uh, so critical, the yeah. backup plan. Something that says you are, you are taking care of this person. You are the caregiver. I know that frustration's got to set in. You can, you can understand that. But you have to have a backup plan. Well, we see it, too. Uh, I mean, with even spouses, that uh, today with dementia and Alzheimer's being more rampant than ever, uh, that uh, I've seen it sitting in my office with uh, with a frustrated spouse that listens to the other spouse just ramble along, uh, and uh, and then calls me back and says, "Disregard everything he said or she said because uh, they are not themselves." Mm-hmm. And they're the caregiver or the spouse many times will be in denial about it. So that uh, that is kind of part of and bl- and blends into this this area of abuse. So uh, we need to be cognizant. That's a, extremely important. Mac, when we talk about power of attorney and how that can be a tremendous tool or a dangerous tool, help me with that. Well, I mean, sometimes a power of attorney can actually be a legal license to steal because most banks won't question the document if it was prepared appropriately. So I think it's key to have those protections. And we mentioned the idea where the power of attorney is either immediate, which means it's effective as soon as you sign it. Right. Or it's springing, which means it only becomes effective when a physician has signed a letter or an affidavit saying this person can no longer make decisions for themselves. And I think the springing power of attorney is the better route. What happens when a person who, who is, you mentioned, Robin, you guys are talking with me about this. What would you tell a client? And if you just tuned in, my guest, Mac Bailey, Rob Clement, let me, let me give you their telephone numbers. You need to, if you've got a question, why don't you just give them a call? Mac Bailey's telephone number, 843-2760, 843-2760. Just give the Bailey Law Firm a call. If you've got questions about probate or anything we're talking about today, they know what they're talking about. And Rob Clement's telephone number, 757 757 Five seven five seven, guys. Here, here's my question: When you know something like this is going on, what are, what are, what should you be looking for? What are the signs of, of not only physical abuse but neglect? Uh, you know, Rob, all you mentioned that. Start with that. You know, tell, Mac, give me some of those ideas of what are the signs you're looking for when we start with. Let's just stay, say physical abuse. Well, from physical abuse, obviously looking at the how they maintain their household. 
how they're maintaining their personal hygiene, bruising, um, uh, not talking when you ask them questions, uh, being very uh, reserved and isolated and quiet. These are all signs of physical elder abuse. Okay, now, and far as the financial side, Rob, what do yeah, you— Yeah, I, I see that uh, just springboarding into uh, sometimes uh, maybe that person is not willing to talk and uh, because there are caregivers there, so they're a little fearful of their caregiver and the dominance that that person has, and uh, because of that— they also end up uh, uh, showing up as as uh, maybe physically. Maybe mm-hmm. they're not caring for their just appearance, their appearance and, uh, and their right. weight. They could have a, a weight loss. And so there's just all types of things that kind of fold into that abuse. You know, area. one of the things that I know we talk about a lot of times in the office, and both of you all have mentioned this, is the person who comes in with the new best friend. That is a that's the big horn that goes off and the bells and the whistles and everything else because all of a sudden you, you're you're talking well this is this is John or you know John is now calling and you know, the new best friend you I mean he he really talks to me and I'm and you know you try your best but that sometimes can be serious denial because the new best friend is meeting a need and that's so important. Guys, thanks so much for being with us today. I appreciate all the things you've discussed and great topics, guys. Good Glad to be, to be here. here. Yeah, thank you. Well, we've uh, been talking with Mac Bailey and of the Bailey Law Firm. His telephone number, 843-2760. Rob Clement of Shoemaker Financial, 757-5757. Of course, both of these guys are very uh, sharp on what they're talking about. Give them a call. The producer and board operator today, as always, Mr. Gil Worth. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moscovich. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. You've been listening, of course, to Talk Money on KWAM. 990 The Voice and FM 107.9 Talk Radio for the Memphis and the Mid-South. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money and keeping you updated on the financial needs that we always talk about. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Thank you for listening. This is Talk Money. Rob Clement is a registered representative and Jim Shoemaker is a registered representative and investment advisor representative of Securing Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.